All right. How's everybody doing? So uh, we want to just declare, we're going to worship here right away. We want to just declare that this is the day that the Lord has made. Now, I got, I got two prophetic words here this morning, one from Nashville and one from Spruce Grove. And both of them happen to be about the same thing. And so I just want to encourage you to press into God's presence today. We've all been accustomed to being in church, and about 20 minutes into worship, suddenly we register, wow, the presence of God is here. Well, it just didn't come from space. It didn't come from some aurora borealis at the North Pole. It came from the temple. It came from the temples. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? You are the ones that carry the presence of God. You are the ones that have the glory of God inside of you. And when you open up in worship and you begin to have that kinetic connection with God in the Spirit, then suddenly you begin to release something that changes the atmosphere for the benefit of others. So, Lord, we say, great is your name, greatly to be praised. We say, let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let's worship him. You know, when we declare that, God, you are good, we're doing it from a different place today than we were yesterday. This is very important that you understand this. Because some of you are going through trials right now. And it's harder to say, God, you are good today than it was a week ago or two weeks ago or a year ago or two years ago. Some of you might be on a high. Some of you might be, you know, just hitting a series of, of personal bests in your life where the words come easily and powerfully and full of exuberance. But some of you may be in the depths of trial. You know, the book of Hebrews is about a people who are being tried. They were being tested. And the exhortation was, listen, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he said, listen, it's not the time to faint. It's not the time to pull back from your confession. This is the theme of Hebrews. And they weren't just, you know, having a... Uh, uh, the flu symptoms they couldn't shake. They weren't just getting, you know, a demotion at, at work where their, their paychecks were cut in half. They were losing their houses. They were losing their lives. They were being persecuted. They were being run out of their cities. They were losing everything. 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 And the apostles writing and saying, Stand fast. Stand fast. Realize that you are being given a kingdom which is unshakable. And you're going through a time now where it seems like everything is being shaken. But he's saying, he says, listen, the only thing that's being shaken is what can be shaken. God is actually using this test to establish you in something firm, something stronger than you can imagine, something that cannot be shaken. So hold fast. 
to your confession. Hold fast to your confidence. Don't be like your forefathers who, when they were tested, they cut and ran. I think about a lot of you here that, you know, years ago, I remember when you were on that high, you know, that you were just so overflowing with praises. It was so easy to come in here and say, God, you're so good. And yet now it's like, I'm not sure I can squeak out the words. Well, this is the time to squeak them out. This is the time to shout them on high. This is the time to say them even when you don't feel like it. The time to declare that you believe in a God that heals is not when you're well, but when you're sick. You don't need it when you're well, but you need it when you're sick. That's the time you find out whether you actually believe that. When you're in the valley of the shadow of death, there's there's something to be found in this place. So I want to say, declare it today. Lord, you are good. Let's say it together. Lord, you are good. God, we want to say that you are good. You are a good, good God. You are a good, good Father. You are a good God. You are good. So, Lord, even though our faith is being tested, let it come forth as gold because you are good. So we want to declare today, God, that we are in your hands. And no matter what's happening around us, Lord, you said all things work together for good. That doesn't mean everything is good. That means all things work together for good. Because what you are preparing us for is an unshakable kingdom. An unshakable, immovable kingdom in our hearts. Lord, we long to be connected to that which cannot be shaken. Amen. 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 And uh, as we, as it swelled and it all very natural. Father, I want to thank you for what you're doing in our lives. God, And we just pray that um, you would give us insight, Lord, into your kingdom. Holy Spirit, we say, uh, take the veil off of our eyes. Cause us to see what you see, understand what you understand. Lord, and believe what you believe. Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I had uh, I had a couple of things I was planning on talking about this morning. Well, actually, I had two things I was thinking. Okay, either one of these two, and we'll see what happens during the worship. But I was awakened at three a.m. The good thing is I, I got another message. Uh, I began to see two pictures, and the Lord began to speak to me. Often, when the Lord speaks to me, it's out of pictures. And, uh, and so I have these pictures I'm going to share with you. One revolves around a balloon. The other is we're going to show you in a second some photos, not, not yet. But I want to read a couple of scriptures. One of my delights in walking with a group of people is how God confirms things. And so this morning in, uh, in the prayer room, uh, this happens with somewhat, you know, some, some kind of regularity. Not, not necessarily great regularity, but pretty decent regularity, where somebody will suddenly start praying the main scripture that I have in this morning and the same thing that happened. And the scripture is Isaiah 9, verse 2. And so I'm going to actually read verse 1 and verse 2. And this is what it says. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, 
as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed by her by the way of the sea beyond the, the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Actually, I don't even need to read verse 1. Verse 2 is the main one. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. This is the scripture that I begin to feel, and the New Testament version of this, somewhat, uh, is Matthew 5.16. This is what it says. It says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, these two scriptures touch on what is the Great Commission, our great mandate. It it hinges into a promise that God has given us that the whole earth is going to encounter God's light. The last stage of this, of course, is when Jesus returns, right? Anybody heard of the second coming of Christ? Right? Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to come back, you know, in in a big way. Not like the last time. You know, last time we celebrated Christmas, he came covertly. You know, he came like, like uh, you know, Oliver North's emissaries to Panama. You know, if you know anything about history, <laughs> that, was for, that was for Mr. Jesperson back there. He got that one. Anyway, he, you know, he came covertly. He came undercover. He came secretly. He didn't, you know, other than... Few people knowing, you know, uh, there was Joseph and Mary, of course, and a few shepherds. I mean, but it wasn't plastered on the on on the across the earth that there was a king born. The next time he comes, he's coming with fanfare. The sky is going to tear and roll back like a scroll, and he who dwells in unapproachable light will burst upon the scene of history in a very consuming way. And so we're waiting for this moment. And we have with this a promise that the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So the the imagery there is light and glory. And then also it is the knowledge of God because uh, one of my th- as, as is one of my favorite things that the knowledge of God is this life that we've been called into as believers. So we're anticipating that light's going to come, more and more light. As I was reflecting on this today, I got two pictures. And I want you to throw up uh, the first one. What does that look like to you? A lantern. Yes, very good. You have seen well. That's That's what God said to Jeremiah. He says, what do you see? He says, well, I see this. They say, you've seen well. Uh, So anyway... It's a lamp. And of course, when you think of a lamp, you think of that which lights up a room, right? Now, it's good to make note of some inherent qualities of light. The nature of light is that it illuminates. When when light comes on, the darkness is powerless. The darkness immediately disperses, okay? And that's the beauty of light. But uh, So you have this light that is going to light up a room, and then on the other hand, you have this picture. Let's throw this other one. Look at that. Isn't that a beautiful thing? How many of you have seen things like this before? Right? This is, this, this is of course, from a satellite view of the United States. And what you see is this amazing display of light. Now, as, when you're looking at that, 
what we know intuitively is that those lights, for example, you look on the east coast there up towards New York and there's, there's a big you know, pile of light. But that's not one light. It's a lot of lights. How many of you think that is? Like how many street lights would there be in New York City that make up that light? Millions, yeah, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots. You've got, you know, houses with their, you know, kitchen lights on, and you've got street lights, and you've got uh, car lights driving down the highway. I mean, you've got, I mean, this thing is, a, is the aggregate of all the conceivable expressions of light that there can be. Now, I was seeing this picture, and I wanted to say this about this. These two, and I want you to keep both of them in mind. But basically, I want to say a couple of things about this light. First of all, these two pictures, they both depict the same thing. They both are speaking about light, except the context and the scale of them are different. But they're both about the same thing. I want to declare this to you. There is a scale of light, either micro or macro. Obviously, this is the macro version. We see here a light that, that is illuminating an entire nation. I mean, it's, it's a brilliant thing. But if you go back to the other one, that macro picture of light is not uh, against this one. It is not contrary to this one. It is not, you know, uh, in, at enmity against this one. In fact, the larger one is fed by the numbers of small ones. Okay, so both are reflections of one another, a light in the room or the light that lights up whole nations. But here's, here's the thing. Our, our personal orientation, generally, generally speaking, is around one or the other of these. So if you begin to talk to people, for example, I think it's no secret that this is not necessarily my orientation. My orientation is the macro. I, I like the big picture. Uh, why? Because, because that's what I'm geared to. So when I come back from a country like Egypt, you know, and, and you may be sitting here, and you may be conscious of your little dark room, which is your life, or the sphere that is within the realm of your authority, whether it's your children, your wife, your family, your job, or whatever it is, you may be thinking that, that hey, this, this, is, this is as far as I can think. You know, this is my orientation. I'm just trying to get light here. When you come back talking about Egypt and the nation, the rest of that, it's kind of, it's kind of, eh, I, just, I just can't connect in with that. And the reality is when we talk about these, you know, the global picture of what God is doing over the face of the earth, when you're struggling to make it to church on Sunday or to believe that God still loves you or to, or to hold it together because of financial pressures or emotional things that God is, you know, the things that are being stirred up in your life, maybe you don't have the capacity to think about. And, and um, we, want, we need to guard something. We need to, we need to guard the natural, the natural, the unnatural enmity that the enemy would seek to put between micro and macro. And that's often what happens where, where because the illustrations that matter most to me fit in the micro, I, I dismiss the macro. Or, on the other hand, I'm so con- thinking about the nations 
that I, when it comes to the, the individual being a light in their world, is beneath me. So the question is today, in, in, in light of this, who are you in terms of your orientation? Do you think, when you think about the need for light, do you think about the need to be a light for your children predominantly? Do you think about being a light at work? Do you think about being a light in your community, Spruce Grove? Or do you, does your heart go to the interceding for the nations and what's happening and what's, un, what's unfolding on, on the larger sphere of the global context? Whatever that orientation is, it's all God. It's all God. It's all God. And I, I, I feel like prophetically in the spirit, we want to make a declaration today that will close a door to a divide that the enemy tries to bring between the micro and the macro and to say that they are one. Can you say with me today, they are one? Let's say it again. They are one. They are one. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray, Father, that the enemy would not be able to, to confuse or distract us, that, Lord, everything that's appropriate and applicable to the micro works on the macro, and everything that's appropriate and innate to the op- activity of light in the macro operates the same in the micro. That, Father, these are not two different things. They are one thing. So, uh, Lord, we just, we just bless that in the name of Jesus. You know, it reminds me now, suddenly, there's a, a scripture in Corinthians, speaking of divisions and, and discord and confusion. You know, one of the things that Paul says, and correct me, you Bible scholars, if, if I get it wrong, but he, he's talking about sowing. It says, those that, that sow... And I think the other part is those that harvest, he said, are one. Those that sow and those that harvest are one. Is this ringing a bell? It's right in First Corinthians chapter 3 there, leading up to the whole issue of touching on the division. He said, they're one. They're not two. They're not different. They're not separate. They're not, one's not better than the other. They are intimately connected. The one leads to the other. And we know that, right? You know, this, the farmer sows the seed and then the farmer that harvests. You know, there's no disconnect between these two things. They're, they're, they work in sync with one another. Did I get it right? Oh, the one who plants and waters. Okay, that's what it is. The one who plants and the one who waters are one. In other words, they're doing two different things, but they're connected, they're connected, they're connected, they're connected. And again, it hits on the same theme because what the enemy was trying to do in the Corinthian church is to make you, to get you so enamored with one expression to the, that you were willing to dismiss the others. And in the case of the Corinthian leaders, it was the different types of gifts in the body. You had Apollos, you had, you know, they, they, they use, these weren't actual all people because the one was, I'm of Jesus. But he was talking about a mindset that was connected, and he used these, these names of Cephas and, and uh, Apollos and Jesus and himself. So uh, I want to finish that, that picture, and I want to say that, and then I want to go to my second picture. There's, there's two ways to look at this. When I look at, at Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. 
the idea that the kingdom of God is measured in increments of light, okay? That the whole earth will be filled uh, also, uh, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And the glory of God has to do with light. When it's talking about, you know, it, when it's talking about who God is, it says that God is love, but God is light, right? God dwells in unapproachable light. And so one of the commodities with which we can express the increase of the kingdom of God is light. It's, there's going to be increasing truth, increasing clarity. Increase and increase and increase. The other one is uh, knowledge, the knowledge of God. And, of course, these, these two are related, but they're just two different pictures of the same thing. Now, I was watching uh, uh, a video this morning, and it, in the video was a fellow named Nigel Farage. Is that how you say his name? He's the, uh, the, the big guy, uh, the sort of the political guy behind Brexit in, in London that really championed uh, the, the UK leaving the European Union. Anyway, there was this, there was this discussion going on about uh, all kinds of different policies. This one had to do with, with um, immigration and some of those things. And as they're talking, as they're talking, I'm getting some prophetic revelation about this. But they're talking about the changes that are happening in the UK because of the influx of people. And as I, as I begin to say that, I, I get this picture, and this picture is of a balloon, and I'll, I'll blow up the balloon in a second. But the picture is this, that the British people are struggling with the fact that there's such an inundation of foreigners in them that their world is changing at such a pace, never mind the, the financial strain on the nation for having to have so many uneducated uh, individuals coming in who can't speak the language, but the very fabric of their society is being changed. It's being effective in a way that people are not adjusting to. Now, whether you, whether you think that's good or bad is beside the point. The, the point of it is this, is that suddenly that which has been sustained and, and kept, you know, in a certain way for for generations, is rapidly being overrun by other things. Now, I always think of these things sociologically, because, uh, as, as I'm sure you do, uh, but uh, I was thinking about uh, Israel, and I was, I was thinking about the, the, the times when they were being overrun versus the times when they were expanding. So there's two different seasons in Israel, the time when, when uh, under Solomon or under David, where their ability to, to push away the influences of the nations uh, was great, and then the times when suddenly the Philistines are coming in and taking their land and raiding parties are coming in and stealing away their women and taking their crops. You know, you, know, you, read, you read this, the whole Old Testament history of Israel is this up and down thing where they're oppressed, they're victorious, they're oppressed, they're victorious, they're vic- you know, and, and all the dynamics that went with this, the, you know, the process between getting free and, you know, being oppressed again. It's, it's quite, a, quite a fascinating deal. But basically, it comes down to, to one thing. When they walked with God, they had influence. When they stopped walking with God, the world around them 
began to cascade in upon them. Now, this is where I connect this to the other illustration. Isn't that fun? Here it comes. The light thing, right? Darkness, darkness has no inherent power, all right? Darkness has no ability to, to stop the power of light. As soon as you flick on a switch and that light comes on, psh, darkness is gone. The presence of one means the absence of the other. It's automatically, it's just natural. And so even though there's a conflict, light and darkness, and it's a great metaphor, really the darkness is, is just victimized by the degree of light that is there. And by the same token, what we see in Israel is that when, when they are walking with God, there is a manifestation of elements with the nation that cause them to be influential. Now, that can be applied one of two ways, all right? Let's, let's talk about the micro. How's your influence? Are you growing in influence in the world that you're in? You know, if you, if you, if you have a little room or you're, 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 you're touching a part of touching nations, it's the same thing. The question is, is there enough light to illuminate the world that you're in? Or are you struggling to keep the darkness at bay? Is the darkness encroaching upon elements of your life? Or is there so much light that darkness doesn't have a chance? Now, I, I always go to the, the nation part of this because when I think of, of the gospel, when I think of the kingdom of God, I think of, of how much of Western, not all of Western civilization, but how much of Western civilization has been empowered by the truth that's, that's in the gospel. I mean, our legal system, our social system, our, our, our uh, economic system, all of these things, decreasingly, yes, but it used to be that these things were all empowered by the truth of the gospel. The foundations of these things were Judeo-Christian faith and uh, foundations. But now we're coming to a time where, like, like in Israel, when suddenly the Philistines were rising up and suddenly the Philistines were making inroads. So, you know, sometimes we... we uh, we, we get into this world of politics, and, and we can't be, as Christians, divorced from what's happening in terms, in terms of immigration policy and all these kinds of things. But you have to ask the hard questions, and the hard questions begin with, how come? How, why is it that Western civilization used to be going this way, and now it's going this way? You hear what I'm saying? It used to be that everything was, there was so much of whatever that made this culture influential, it was taking over, and now what's happening is we're being influenced by other cultures, other religions, other, other, other thought processes, like, it's like, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Darkness has no power, but when light recedes, darkness enters. So what you have, and what I was seeing this morning, is another discussion. It's not necessarily wrong of how do we have appropriate immigration, all of this. And let me, let me go to my illustration now. Okay, Here, here's an interesting thing. The, the principle on which this, and I'm not a scientist, so if I get some of the language wrong, you know, you physicists and all that, you can come and correct me. But basically what you have here is you have a high-pressure system inside of here. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's air that's pushing out that's causing this to inflate. 
It's kind of like meteorologically when you have a low-pressure system and a high-pressure system. High-pressure systems are great in the winter. They're cold, but what they do is they keep all of the clouds away. So you have this spot of it's clear for a long time because there's, a, there's an air pressure system, but what, the, what that doesn't have, it doesn't have a border like this has, right? This, this has a, you know, this kind of thing. What makes one atmosphere distinct from another is not the border per se, but the pressure. And that's the illustration that I began to see this morning, is that God is, God is saying this, and let me try and summarize. He's saying, listen, the reason why this culture is being influenced by other cultures is because the pressure that used to be inside this culture has dissipated. And all of a sudden, things are pressing down. So when that pressure system goes, that's a cultural vacuum. You have a floppy, and you know, you can, you can do all you want to try to reinforce the border of this, but it's a losing cause. Like, that's not the real answer. Is it, 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 do you understand? That's not the real answer. Should we have, from a pragmatic standpoint, borders and, and controls? Absolutely. But in terms of preserving our culture or the Christian faith, that's not the issue. And you think, well, well, does God cease to be who he was 100 years ago? Like, like what's, what's with the big change? Us, our faith. And by us, I mean, I mean the concentration, the density of faith within the nation. Not necessarily how much faith is an in, this individual has versus an individual 100 years ago, but how much of the aggregate, let's put the picture up there of the big the United States, how much of the aggregate faith is not what it used to be. So, you know, if this represented faith, then the faith in New York, all the light that's there and the clarity that's there is the product of, you know, numbers of people with intense light in their lives, which causes... A macro effect. It causes culture to be changed. It causes society to move around the higher pressure system. You know, and so the, the, what God is trying to, to say to us is that we don't have to, to worry about cultures or languages or other religions coming in. And the question is, why is there not enough light to repel that? Why isn't the revelation that we stand for? Because God hasn't changed, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you think, well, okay, you know, well, you know, I'm, I can't be re- held responsible for what's happening in the nation of Canada. No, but you are part of the picture. Well, you think, well, yeah, but, but if, if I now am one believer where there used to be 500 believers, how can, how can I compensate for 500 people who used to believe? It's called wattage. God has, God has said, listen, it's not a question of, of I mean, it would be great if there were 500 additional for each one of us in this community that we're saved. That would be even more than there is in the community. That would be wonderful. That would produce a lot of light. But what if I took the responsibility as an individual to not just have enough light to light the little room, just a little lamp, you know, this little light of mine. What if God is saying you have the capacity to be like a spiritual supernova? I mean, what if God is saying, what if that is the the, the real issue? And God is saying, listen, I... 
I have made the kingdom of God and the, my workmanship inside of you such that far more light can be coming out that could repel all kinds of darkness, unimaginable darkness. So the question is not how much darkness is out there. And this is, this is part of the shift we want to be is, is how much light is in here. And if there's not enough light to sustain Christian culture, the idea is not to go back to, well, we should put things, make sure everybody says Merry Christmas and, 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 and get rid of Santa Claus. And, and I mean, I'm all for traditional things, but, but those are stopgap measures. We're, we're trying to keep, you know, the balloon is deflated and we're trying to pretend it's, you know, let's create laws so that it gets back to the space it was at without the pressure inside. Can't be done. If you can get any semblance of that, it's just a lot of work. If the air was there, if the pressure was inside there, it's easy to occupy that space. You know, when God said occupy, he's saying to you as an individual, have dominion where you live. Have dominion. Be an expression of the kingdom of God that's influential. And, well, how do I do that? Well, the first thing you do is you confess when you're not having it and say, I'm the, I'm the reason. Well, you know, there's just a lot of darkness out there. Well, if it weren't for the immigrants, if it weren't for this, uh, the, you know, if it weren't for our language laws, if it weren't for the, this, this agenda, nah. God is saying, I'm just looking for a people. I got enough wattage to light up the whole world. I just need a few good men and women. Now, on to my last point. How does this relate to this morning? We, come, we came here this morning. Uh, but how, how does this relate? Like what, what is going on? Because, and I remember as a young Christian, I'd come to meetings like this. And I'd have an amazing experience in worship, right? And I, I think, you know, the presence of God is just electric and it's powerful. And it's like, yeah, God is alive. This is so great. And then, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, like, uh, life is hard, then you die. And, and I'm saying, you know, and for me as a young Christian, it was struggling with sinful impulses or temptations or, or uh, uh, you know, uh, manifestations of the flesh that were unseemly. All kinds of them. And, and so I was like, well, I don't understand this. God, you're, you're, you're so powerful. You're amazing. On Sunday, I got this great... I felt like masters of the universe. Presence of God. Two days later, I'm like... Why the disparity? Why? How can we experience these amazing moments? And sometimes it wasn't two days. Sometimes it was like late the same afternoon. I'm thinking like, is there not any residue that, you know, should carry me at least till Monday? Anybody ever wondered about these things? Not Della. Anybody? Seriously. Anybody ever wonder? Okay, I'm going to give you an answer. Might not be a good one. 
But here's, here's, here's my thoughts on it. And I'm going to give you an illustration from Egypt. We were two hours from Cairo in something called Wabi, Wadi, Wadi. Anyway, it's out in the desert. And uh, I, I did not dress appropriately. I did not bring warm clothing. I should have brought long johns. But I'm thinking, I'm looking at the, you know, the daytime temperatures, and we're looking at 22 to 24. This is going to be great. T-shirts. You know, so I didn't even bring a winter coat of any kind. Well, the temperature, we were in an outside kind of thing. It was kind of a, uh, you know, it was open air but covered. And suddenly, you know, shortly after the sun goes down, it's getting cold and colder and colder. And our 22 goes to 20, goes to 18 to 19 to 15 to 14 to to 10 to 9 to 8 to 7 to 6 to 5. One of the evenings, it was 5 degrees. I don't know about you, but for me, 10 is unbearable. Now, if you understand the principle of, of why that is, you maybe get, you get a picture already of what I'm, what I'm talking about, is the desert is unable to hold the heat. There's nothing uh, in the dryness of sand and rock and those things. It's just not absorbent to the energy of the sun. And so it quickly dissipates. It quickly disappears because it's not designed to hold things. Now, water holds, you know, energy or heat much better than does sand. And so, you know, water affects climates that way because when the water warms up, it, the residual, you know, sort of just creates an atmospheric shift that's very hard to, to go back. In the desert, it's like hot and then hot and Hot and ksh, and that's many of our spiritual lives. Ah, you know, great meeting on top of the world. It's like, ah, I'm not sure if God is, is, is real. Because the moments we have here Sunday morning, we think, wow, you know, we should have a moment where the presence of God comes down so powerfully in worship that it just transforms the whole community. That would be great. And I would love some kind of residual spiritual heat. But the primary plan of God is what, is what uh, Curtis was talking about earlier when he talked about Uzzah. And, and they had devised this plan that the, 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 the uh, Ark of the Covenant was, carried, was supposed to be carried on the, ar- on the shoulders of priests. Instead, they put it on a cart. And, and the message was, this is not how this is meant to be carried. Let me just say this. This church structure cannot carry the glory of God. The carpet does not absorb enough of the presence of God to keep you on the straight and narrow for the next few weeks. Whatever experience you have that affects your emotions, affects the mindset, you get an insight, all the rest of that, is, is not the cornerstone of your spiritual experience, your spirit is. Your spirit is. When you became born again, your spirit came alive. And when when and and you you are walking, you are one spirit. I don't I'm trying to get I'm gonna keep this simple because I could go into some of the dynamics of being spirit led and born again and all the rest of that. But let me just say this. Your spirit is the part of you 
that catches and holds on to the mo- the moments that we have. The moments that we have, it's like starting a fire and burning some wood, but as soon as the fire's out, you start getting cold again. Why? Because there's nothing here to hold. It's a moment in time, and now it's gone. Why? Because where it's meant to be stored up, where it's meant to be reserved or held or or gathered is in your spirit. So the disciples are a great example of this. The disciples are walking down the road, and, and they're very discouraged, right? Because Jesus, what happened to him? He got, he did, he got killed. He died. They're very discouraged. And so all the, all the heat is gone. And they're walking along, and all of a sudden Jesus is there with them, and he starts prophesying to them and saying, "Did not does not the scripture say, etc., etc., etc." And when they get to the house and he disappears, and they realize it was Jesus, what do they say? They said, "Did not our hearts burn inside of us? Did not our heart?" You see, even Jesus walking with them. Was, was feeding something into the receptor, the only receptor that actually contains that experience. I mean, you might be able to remember the experience because it impacted you emotionally. You might be able to remember the experience of, of a worship service or a, me- a message or something because it stimulated you intellectually or the ideas of that will you know, carry on. But ultimately, the energy of every experience you have in God in worship needs to be consolidated in your spirit and lived out from there. So we are in this process, and let me try and summarize this. We are in this process where we are absorbing light. We are absorbing the knowledge of God. We are, we, God is trying to create this high-pressure system in us. And, of course, we have these experiences that tell us we are really far down the road But God has created this other checks and balance program where he tells you how much you've retained by whether the darkness is caving in or not. And that's the litmus test for are you retaining this appropriately. It's not a condemnation. Oh, look at you again. You know, it's just Monday. The darkness is already like 90%. It's, It's a truth thermometer to say, how much of this am I, am I holding on to? How much of this do I embody? How much of this am I able to create that pressure system for my world? And if it keeps dissipating and you end up a little shrivelly balloon, it's not to say you little shrivelly balloon. It's to say something can change, needs to change, and. And seeing that you're all deflated is the evidence to say, God, change me. Not to say you're bad, but God, how do I do this thing? How do I become that supernova? What is the process that I can spiritually light up a room or a city or be part of lighting up a portion of a nation? Do I re- I mean, we get so inundated in the culture of Christianity, it gives us ideas about what we are and what we're not that are incorrect. 
And so God has this great way of letting us know, actually, you're not carrying quite as much light as you think. And that shouldn't be demoralizing. That should be encouraging that God would say, hey, I'm not going to let you languish there. Now, for me and for my world, it's been great. And I think in the last five years, I've come into more comfort with seeing what I'm not than I've ever, I've ever had in my whole life. Like everybody else, I don't like seeing how I was lacking. I don't know, maybe some of you love it. Yeah, you did really poorly today. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> right? We, we, we all love to do good. But there's, when you actually, when God starts to get self out of the way, then you start to be able to be a little more objective about it. And why is this important? Because God's saying, listen, I want you to light up a whole region. And that's not going to happen by some, you know, magic. I mean, God could do that, but it'll dissipate very quickly. And that's what revivals have been. God, kind of, God, here's a lot of heat. That's gone. That's what revivals have been. It's like flash in the pan. Why? Because the receptacles meant to carry them, sustain them, are not absorbing them like the desert night, quickly become cold. So, Father, I just want to pray and say, God, we, we are done with the flash in the pan. We are done with the being hot and then becoming cold. We are, we are asking you, God, how, how is there sustained spiritual intensity in our life? God, how can there be sustained power, sustained vision, sustained hope, sustained love, sustained influence so that, God, this gospel will have the power, the recognition, the glory that it used to have in the nations. Father, we say, we're not going to blame the liberal government. We're not going to blame ISIS. We're not going to blame other cultures or languages. We're going to say, Lord, the light inherently has power to dispel darkness. So, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus, teach us, train us to be light carriers. A city set on a hill. We pray in Jesus' name just feeling such a conviction right now. Um, uh, what, what was the church in Revelation that had forgotten their first love? Who was that? Anybody remember? Who? Yeah. So um, God's just been really speaking to me about that church lately. Um, and this theme and how We've forgotten our first love. I guess I just need to say that out loud. And just feeling really deeply convicted about that. Um, Where uh, I feel like we need to turn our hearts back to the Father, back to our first love. Remember when we first met him and what he was like in our eyes and in our hearts when we first encountered him. Um, sorry, I'm shaking. Um, and I, I'm just thinking about that song. 
I will set you as a seal upon my heart, as a seal upon my heart. For there is love that is as strong as death, jealousy demanding as the grave. And um, I'm just feeling his jealousy right now over us. And this deep conviction that we have moved away from our first love, that we have denied him the place of honor in our hearts. And I do not want to be the church, the body, that he speaks of in Revelation, where we've forgotten our first love, that our passion for him has died, where, just like Mark says, we, we blame the culture. We say things like, it's so difficult to be a Christian in this culture. There's so much pushback. Um, you know, those are the excuses sometimes I use. It's just, it's so hard. And God's going, but my love, but my love, it's stronger than death. And I'm just broken over this today. I hope that's okay. That I'm broken over the fact that our light has grown dim. Because we have forgotten our first love. His love has never changed. His love has not diminished. His love has not failed us. His love has not abandoned this culture. His love has never changed. It is us. We have forgotten our first love. So, Lord, come be the fire inside of our hearts. Come be the flame upon our hearts. We turn back to you, our first love. We confess that our eyes have been turned away, that our hearts have been turned away, that our ears have not been tuned into your voice. We confess that we have not leaned into you, into your love. We say that we have missed you. We have missed your love. God, come consume us. Come come consume our hearts again. Come consume our thoughts. Lord, I ask that we would lean into your jealousy again. That we would be cleansed of our sin, Lord. We confess our sin before you when we say that the oil has grown low in our lamps. And we want to get ready. We want to get ready for the coming of the bridegroom today, Lord. We want to be that bride in white with our lamps filled with oil to full. And so, Lord, we stand before you. and We recommit ourselves to you. We remember the covenant that we made before you. We recognize the holiness of it, the jealousy of it, the demand of it, what you demand of us is absolute commitment. You will not share our hearts. You will not share our hearts. Your jealousy is demanding as the grave. We stand before you and we humble ourselves. Give us a revelation of this covenant.
and how you say you will not allow this covenant to be broken. We want to be a people that display the power of the covenant in this nation. A love that is demanding as the grave and consumes all darkness. Come be the fire in our hearts. And this is what we're saying. We're saying, God, I'm willing to own my spot. Whether it's that room in the micro or if it's some way as a part of the macro. Either way, Lord, I want to be a light bearer. I want to be an influence for the kingdom of God without excuses. I don't want to hide under the decorations of Christian culture preserved by laws or traditions. I want to be a part of a moving force that is always expanding because, God, you always expand. You are dominion. You rule. Jesus, every room you walked into, you walked in with the upper hand because you walked in more power. And when the Pharisees rose up to try to humiliate you with a word, you put them to shame. You weren't intimidated. You weren't embarrassed. You weren't manipulated. God, we want to be light bearers. But we're saying, God, choose me, choose me, choose me, choose me. Write it on my heart. Write it on my heart. Write it on my heart. I, I am coming to you to say, God, I won't quit. God, I've been complaining about the trials. I've been complaining about what the very work you're doing to keep, to make me into this. I've been kicking and fussing and retreating and complaining. And I recommit today to say, Lord, make me unshakable. Make me unshakable. At the beginning uh, of the uh, the morning, through Curtis, we illustrated uh, how my friend David has upped the vulnerability, the transparency of his life to the point where, even though nobody noticed that irritation, he's saying, "I don't want any of my." fingerprint on anything. I don't want to leave any room. Lord, I want you to have it all. And anything in my life, anything that comes out of my mouth, anything that comes into my mind that doesn't resemble you, I'm going to call it out. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to call us out. We enlist for that new level of transparency, that new level of accountability, that even if nobody knows, Lord, we know. We know what that feels like when the flesh bites. And we're not going to tolerate it. We're not going to leave room for it. Not for jealousy, not for comparison, not for judging, not for anger, not for for resentment, none of it. 
And it just means owning it. It doesn't mean feeling bad about it, beating yourself. It just means, God, don't relent until it's all gone. I I want my response to always be gentle. I want my response to always be love. I want my response to always be patience, forbearance, long-suffering against these things, there is no law. That's what we're signing up for because that's what he's looking for. That's it. So I'm putting my hand up to say, Lord, I volunteer for this end time army. I want to be volunteer for the day of your power. The day of your power is approaching And you will have volunteers. Lord, we choose to be them. Recommit to God whatever you need to do personally. But God's on the move in us. So bless one another as you go. Have a great weekend.